Hello and welcome to The Collectivist. My name's Atlas. Today we're going to be featuring Rob, a comrade in Portland, Oregon, pronouns they, them. And we're going to be taking a look at their journey from a local climate activist to a humanitarian activist with Amnesty International. We also talk a little bit about mutual aid and the role that that has played in the multiple different communities in the Portland, Oregon area. And without further ado, today's episode. Hi, Rob. How's it going? Pretty good. How are you doing, Atlas? I'm doing wonderful. I'm so excited to have you on the show today. Really looking forward to hearing more about what everything has been going on in Portland, kind of learning a little bit, because I haven't actually had the honor of going down to Portland at all uh, this last year. Um, so... Oh, you I know out. I did miss out. Uh, I just, yeah, I didn't have a mode of transportation. It was kind of a little bit of a pain. Um, I really wish I would have been down there. But I'm excited to kind of try to live through you a little bit on that and what you've been doing. So what have you been like, what have been your main goals recently and like a little bit of a history for us? I'm excited to hear about it. Yeah, in Portland right now, uh, kind of the transition that we've taken away from the Justice Center as like a community is the ICE detention centers. Right. We have been 13 uh, district courts, essentially, that represent ICE across the country. And one of them is in Portland. And, you know, under the Biden administration, deportations have just like skyrocketed, which is unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's funny because, you know, you and I speak on this conversation. We live in such, you know, quote unquote, liberal cities. And we still see like these oppressive forces. Anywho. Yes, it is unfortunate, but it just kind of, I think it kind of points to a bigger picture that they're all kind of the same. <laughs> um, well, yeah, basically, um, I'd say, you know, George Floyd protests really started popping off in, back in like June in Portland. Yeah. Um, I remember being out there one of the very first nights and, you know, it's like fireworks. I'd never seen fireworks that close letting them pop up the ground i was like what the hell is this um and you know the protests went really strong throughout the summer i think we hit like 100 days out here and people were still going pretty prevalently did i was gonna say did seattle have like what kind of momentum did seattle have up there yeah so seattle broke down a very like bizarre in a weird way um we had a chunk of like collective uh movement but it was very liberal <laughs> in a sense so very peace policey and stuff like that we did have some big demonstrations that did happen um but we i think if you take a step back you'll see that there was actions happening um nightly for a long time whether that was ENDD whether that was other groups in Seattle I think what really happened is after the big masses of people at the beginning of the George Floyd protests kind of broke down a little bit, um, we saw a lot of uh, groups kind of popping up and leading marches, leading demonstrations throughout the city. And so it kind of like spread out the people a little bit more. So it was less of a huge mass of people and more smaller groups uh, going around in different spots in the city. And so not everything got news or got attention. Um, so there was moments where you couldn't, if you weren't following closely, you wouldn't have known that there was still stuff going on. So we recently just did um, 300 days, um, although that was a very uh, disappointing march, in my opinion. But that's okay. Uh, we move on and we're going to continue to learn. So uh, 
300, though. 300 days is crazy. That's a long, long time. Yeah, it is. I I argue that <laughs> I don't know if it was a, uh, if it's a collective 300 days or if they're trying to say that we've marched for 300 days straight. I I would argue that I don't know if we've done it for 300 days straight. I think that there has been some uh, days that we have not had an action or anything like that. But overall, it's still very very impressive to uh, see this long. However, it's a little sad to realize that like. We've been doing it for this long, and change has really been hard to see. But um, I think that mutual aid has been something that's been really big in Seattle that is popping up out of this. So, yeah, very promising stuff. It's like, you know, the kind of organizing that we're both, you know, fighting in our respective cities. It has to do with like this very, very systemic issue, right? And it's like something that's been around yep. forever and isn't going to be gone next month or next year. Something like we have to fighting for the long term and right it's really interesting to i guess like see people you know when we say like anti-racism or like anti-fascist see people like actively making that choice to like take a second and look at the system that they're existing in and right realize that like this is wrong and it like change has to happen so like everyone's just when that big mass of people went down to the smaller mass of people we all kind of just got carved out as like little activists and organizers because we're like we still really care about this. We're still pretty passionate about it. <laughs> yep, exactly. And it's, I think that that's kind of like how activism works. It kind of goes in waves a little bit. Like there's people that keep carrying it as there's a lull and then more people will join. And so hopefully with like the increase of this project, for example, I'm hoping to keep a wave of activism instead of just having that continuous like wash back. And so that's my hope anyways. So like, I know you mentioned uh, Portland ha had some like really good demonstrations and stuff like that. Um, but I also know it. we all kind of understand, at least in the, the PNW, that Portland has a lot of like mutual aid groups and stuff like that going. But what have you been really focused on uh, in regards to those kind of um, activism type of projects? Totally. Yeah, I think mutual aid right now in Portland, it's kind of like a very like strategic part of this whole movement that's been happening is that this happened during the pandemic. Like the George Floyd protests and the pandemic happened concurrently, which like really did put a lot of financial stress on people. And so I think the way that like we kind of focus on mutual aid in Portland is I guess we call it equity is like putting the people who need who need the most right now basically at the forefront. Um, and we saw that play out in, like, the Red House on Mississippi. It's a very historic house. This Afro-Indigenous family has been living there for a long, long time. And there was, you know, in Oregon, a rent moratorium is what it's called. So legally, people weren't allowed to be evicted. Um, and the Portland police came in because, you know, pigs. And, <laughs> yeah, fuck pigs. Uh, the Portland police came in, knocked on the doors, told them that they're evicting them by the end of the week. Mutual aid groups basically caught wind of this, and we all threw down. We were like, this can't happen. These people aren't getting kicked out. This is fucked up. So um, I wasn't there for, like, the beginning of the organizing, so I'm not going to, like, claim that I was. I definitely, like, hopped on that bandwagon later once, like, one of my organizations kind of, like, got the word out. Uh, but basically, yeah, we set up, like, a four-block radius um, for the first and second night. It had Seattle vibes because uh, everyone was saying it was our has. 
the Red House Autonomous Zone. <laughs> I, I did hear that. I saw like a lot of pictures from there as well, like the, the barricading and everything like that. Oh, yeah. No, we definitely, there were <laughs> allegedly structures made. Uh, and there was like structures basically guarding uh, like four block radius on all directions. It was it was really, really cool yeah. um, to like be in that community. And there were like, that was a true hub of mutual aid. It was like <laughs> all of these like comrades inside running like shield trainings, you know, teaching people how to like protect themselves in situations, uh, you know, just so many supplies, food, clothes, anything that people could need. Houses people were coming into the commune area. Um, people from the community were like walking out to have conversations with us. Yeah. That's really, that's like really inspiring and pretty cool to see. Was that where you met a lot of other mutual aid groups that you got involved with or? So I met lots of them through basically organizing because, you know, as the protests were kicking off, it was so easy to find an event all the time. But then as we got later into like 60, 70 day mark, it was like harder to find just like an organized event every night. So we kind of all scourged out and tried to like get the word from anyone we could. Uh, and that's how I found a lot of my networks, but um, red house, I found out through safe Okay, and I was going to talk about safe like a little bit. So essentially safe PDX is a very well-respected and reputable black and indigenous organizing group in Portland. They ha are basically trusted on a really wide level to organize events that are safe. Uh, <laughs> people outside of Portland and these cities can think that, you know, these protests can be super dangerous or they wouldn't want to get involved with them. Anarchism, right, that kind right. of thing. <laughs> um, but the reality is most of the time, if you're going to a protest, you are not going to be put in a really unsafe situation because of the mutual aid networks that we have underneath. We have legal support. We have medical teams. Um, we have people there to help you through that experience. So that's basically what they do is they go around and they they have a really big bite right now out of the organizing okay. the Portland community. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And they're really, really cool. So, you know, I'll, you know, plug them on Instagram, Absolutely. safe underscore PDX, check them out. Uh, look at their website. They have tons of like other mutual aid networks in there too. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So safe PDX has been doing a lot of heavy lifting. It looks like uh, in regards to kind of spreading the word to other people that are outside of, um, you know, the immediate activist community. Um, and I think that that, that, I think that plays into a little bit of uh, kind of what we're going to be talking about today. Um, so it's beautiful. I love that. Um, so I know that um, you were involved in like nonprofits and stuff like that before the protests kind of sprung up uh, last summer uh, due to George Floyd. Um, what what were you focusing on um, before that? And then kind of what was that journey like when the protests started going? Like what 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 transitions kind of happened? That was a weird time. It was really crazy. Um, I think like everyone has a different like little pandemic experience. Um, the anniversary of yeah. mine, <laughs> March 13th, Friday the 13th. Wow, uh, perfect. I know, right? No, <laughs> it was it was a legendary moment. It was insane. I love that. <laughs> Maybe not the right word, but crazy time. Um, yeah, we. I was working with Greenpeace. I was in Las Vegas, and uh, I was leading a basically a business trip out there for six weeks. Um, and I got a call saying I had to go get tested for COVID because 
country's getting shut down. We're yeah. like, what the? <laughs> um, so basically before then, very normal kind of campaign work, like very relaxed, out talking to old white liberal people five days a week, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, but just getting the word out, doing actions here and there against different corporations in the area, uh, with like Fred Meyer and a couple others. Um, but basically, yeah, we were running plastic campaigns and a climate uh, change campaign. Okay. And okay. it was cool stuff. You know, we were focusing on uh, like single use plastics and stuff. Um, but all of that's kind of like, not to say it's not important, but I think the shift there when George Floyd began happening and we we're recently laid off is all the people in that kind of network, we all like launched ourselves into the black lives matter movement yeah uh, and it really put it into perspective <laughs> like we knew about like intersectionality beforehand you know when we talk about climate justice it's things like uh like immigration and you know uh it's border crises and people in the global south that'll get affected so we do talk about like race in a kind right. of abstract way that way um but after seeing you know police brutality very rampantly on that scale, uh, it definitely does radicalize you. Yeah, and absolutely. So, <laughs> all of us were kind of taken aback, being like, well, this injustice is happening right here, right now. Like, this is something <laughs> more directly affects. And I think people wanted something in their control, you know? So they went yeah, into the totally. protests and threw down every night. And, <laughs> and cool. uh, you know, it got a little spicy with the pigs, you know, a little bit of tear gas spicy. just to... You know, to, you know just because you don't have enough chemicals in the atmosphere already, you know? Yeah. So um, you went from Greenpeace uh, and climate kind of injustices and like climate change. Um, and then George Floyd happened. Um, and then uh, what kind of was that journey then for you after that? Like what what, what next steps did you do? Um, so when George Floyd happened, it was kind of a matter of we were out on the streets five, six nights a week at least. And we did that in Portland for a long, long time. It was like 120 or 30 days that we, our little affinity group went and it gets exhausting. It definitely does being, you know, out abused with the police every single night for a long, long time. Um, and after that, we kind of took a more passive role in the community. They're definitely like still, you know, firefighters to say the least. <laughs> out there right, right yeah. Um, but yeah, we kind of took a more passive role and I started doing some like online activism and organizing because I kind of realized there was a community to do that now too. Um, so basically in August or September, um, I grew a network of like 5,000 people on Twitter and it really helped me connect with the community in like a really big way. And so I started yeah. getting tied into like mutual aid networks all across the country, uh, which was really, really cool. And I was able to, you know, like we mentioned, mutual aid is for the people that needs, their needs have to be met like the most urgently. And yeah, exactly. I think like online organizing is a good platform to do that because you get those situations of like, I need like this help right now, you know? <laughs> exactly. It's like a, Community taking care of community, um, and it's really it, it's really beautiful to see because uh, 
we got to help the the people in our community that really have been screwed over by a fucked up system. Um, and so I think it, it's uh, if 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 you've never done any mutual aid before, I highly recommend you do even a small bit. Um, for me, like my little thing is I don't smoke, um, but I do buy like cigarettes just so that I can give them out to people when they ask. Um, yeah, it's so it's 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 like it's like small stuff like that. But yeah, like, yep, I, I love doing that. Um, also, if I'm ever, uh, you know, smoking a joint or something like that, I always try to have one extra. I know that that's a little bit more expensive. Um, and so, you know, it is what it is. But uh, I do like to have a, the mindset of if I'm enjoying something, I want to be able to share that. So at least one other person. Um and so mutual aid is very, a very like I, I, I could speak for hours on it. And that's kind of why we're doing this. So uh, highly recommend you kind of slowly get into the mutual aid. And I'm sure Rob agrees with me on that one. So you took more of a passive role uh, and really been kind of connected with mutual aid around the group. Um, what are some like... What are some projects that you've been focusing on um, in the Portland, Oregon area? Um, and kind of what what have you seen as a like a benefit from that? Um, or what? how have you seen that activism like manifest itself um, like as far as create some sort of like tangible change that you've noticed? Like what are some positive things you've seen from that? Yeah, a couple of the, I'd, I'd call them victories, I suppose. Of okay, yeah in the past like six months is you know uh i'd say the red house was a good thing that family you know they got to stay there um basically like very praxis in portland <laughs> because <laughs> praxis basically just means you know when theory plays out in real life and exactly yeah it's basically like we have definitely redistributed power in different ways throughout the city i think another way that we've been doing that in a kind of informal way because it happens so goddamn often in Portland is through like homeless sweeps. Like mm. mm -hmm. a couple times a week, a park will get like swept by the police. Um, and if people aren't out there basically to hold the line and protect those people, they will just get displaced or arrested. Sucks. Right. It's really yes. bad. It's like those people just, you know, they need to exist and live just like anyone else. And, it screams of neoliberalism, though, because, like, you know, you're we're cleaning we're cleaning a park. I'm like, I'm sorry that human life to you is considered garbage that you have to clean up. Uh, yeah, it 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 boils my blood. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's really yeah. dumb. Um, we did just do. I I'm really proud of this victory that we just got with the amnesty. It's through this police brutality campaign. Um, that we can talk about yeah, in a little bit as well. But basically the victory of what happened is now every time a domestic violence call comes into the Portland Police Department, um, it's not a police officer that gets sent out. That is amazing. Yeah, it's okay. like a EMT and a mental health professional, like a counselor. Perfect. That's what it's supposed to be. Like, uh, we've been preaching this from, like, as long as I can remember, um, like, police should not be responding. <laughs> I know. It's so cool. So that's kind of just like a really, it's it's basically like a, a practice, a praxis way of being like, what would happen if we were to defund the police en masse and like figure out this new community-based system is like very simple solutions like that. That takes like no effort to make that change. And like people will be protected. 
Yeah, that's like a perfect live example because people always the argument back is like, well, who's going to, you know, respond to whatever? Or like, what is your what does that look like? And it's awesome to see like some steps towards showing people what a like a non-policed community would look like uh, in the terms of our police departments and stuff like that. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that victory was really, really cool. Um, I'm trying to think if there was anything oh my gosh okay this is a recent liberation that i was involved in um you might have heard about it maybe not are you familiar with the organizer um team raccoon pdx team raccoon yeah i have followed them yeah i see some of their stuff wow yeah okay team raccoon follow them y'all they are really really cool they've been out uh with the george floyd protest since the beginning they started as walking around picking up trash every single night um, and just kind of starting to form that like community based. If this is going to be like a long term thing, uh, you know, we got to take care of the space. Uh, so that was really cool. Then they started doing mutual aid to, you know, get filters for people that needed them for their masks because we're getting tear gas all the time. You know, <laughs> unfortunate, <laughs> uh, but, but uh, very unfortunate. Uh, basically, I was out Instacarting one day, and I get a notification from Team Raccoon that. They are at a Fred Meyer nearby, and there is a two dumpsters, two like very large industrial dumpsters full of food. And I realized that this place that I'm Instacarting is this Fred Meyer that Team Raccoon's at. And it's been like 20 minutes since they started confronting the Fred Meyer employees, and they're like, they're calling the police on me. I need comrades out here. So I canceled the Instacart. I run over to meet Team Raccoon. And basically, we held down, like, a space while the police were called. And, like, 12 officers were dispersed. And by then, there was probably, like, 12 of us. Nice. Um, It was really scary. (laughs) But we were like, you know, we are okay now. Um, And basically, what was happening, sorry, uh, is this food, if anyone hasn't heard of this situation. um, Fred Meyer's power went out that day. And so what they did was take anything perishable that would have gone bad. I'm talking like anything that wasn't in a box was going in this dumpster. And so there's like three tons of food in these huge dumpsters outside of Fred Meyer. This happened like three weeks ago or something too. Um, And basically the Portland police, they're guarding this dumpster to not let homeless people in the community come in and grab food out of it. Even though it's a pandemic, (laughs) homelessness in Portland has risen so much. um, And that's like a huge problem that our community is faced with every day. Uh, So that's kind of the point of mutual aid. We showed up on the spot and we protected it um, and held it while they threatened to, you know, arrest certain people in the group. Um, And at the end of the day, we got the police turned away. We got the Fred Meyer employees to turn away and we liberated the food in the homeless community. We got to distribute it across everyone in Portland. We got to invite them out to take food, and it was really awesome. Yeah, the liberation of the food uh, really uh, was, at least for me, I thought it was very cool to see the community kind of rally behind that. And uh, it also spoke to a lot of other issues, um, to say the least. And just to say one more little thing about it, like it, it's kind of it's it's very disgusting that our capitalist system like won't give perfectly good food to other people to for self distribution like we're gonna throw it away instead of just giving it to you because we're not gonna sell it or anything like that like that 
that's sickening. It really is. Yeah, such a waste. And it shouldn't be like, yeah. I'm happy that we had that like community web, so to speak, to yeah. like step in and grow from like one person being alerted to having like dozens of people mobilized that ended up feeding like hundreds of people. Like it is definitely that yeah. web of like momentum. Like, you know, take a stand, you know, <laughs> you know, make a choice, take action because you never know what kind of things not only you'll benefit for yourself, but for community, the people around you. Exactly. Like that's something to take away from it is like, Sometimes all people need is one person to stand up uh, and and there can be a lot of good change that follows. Um, so those are some of the things that you've been working on in the Portland area. Do you want to talk a little bit more about your work with Amnesty International and a little bit more about like what uh, what you've been working on? I know you did mention like the mental health part of what you've accomplished, but and that's huge. It's huge. Um but what else have you guys been working on now over there? Yes. Yeah. So basically right now what Amnesty does is, uh, for anyone that's not familiar, we're the world's largest human rights organization. So uh, we have 10 million people that support us in over 150 countries. Um, we've been around for 70 years exposing violation of human rights. Uh, you know, many people around the world know us for disestablishing the death penalty. Uh, which is pretty cool. Back when we first started, there were 16 countries yes. 16 countries that had it outlawed uh, when we started, and now it's about 142. That's that's so good to see. That's amazing. Not in the U.S., though. Am I right? No, I, I know. The U.S. is just, yeah, it's okay. I always assume that anything good like that, the U.S. is like with the last one. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, I know, right? Um, and, you know, I actually, we just dug into a campaign with Amnesty about the U.S.'s death penalty, uh, and it's on this list of demands that us as a human rights organization has given to Joe Biden, saying that, you know, we won't lend any kind of political uh, clout to you if you don't meet every demand on this list. And it's like a hundred things, and one of them is the federal um you know, the death penalty. Yeah. Cause right now it's illegal in 22 States, which isn't even half of them. So in most of America, you're still at risk of being killed, <laughs> which is, you know, it's unbelievable. Cause we also know that there's plenty of evidence to show that there is a large percentage of people that are wrongfully killed by the system, like that were innocent. And we cannot hide the fact that it is disproportionately black people that are affected by this. It's, it's just, Ooh. I don't know if I want to say it, but it's 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 our modern form of, you know, um, oppression. Uh, and so um, hopefully, uh, Alice, I yeah, think I would sorry. go as far. I, did, I think I know what you would say. And I, <laughs> I do believe that this is basically, you know, we talk about the prison industrial complex as like modern slavery, like the death penalty disproportionately yeah. affecting black men is like basically lynchings by the state happening in 2021 and it's it's legal <laughs> to do yeah. so it's like part of it's having a system that the yep. state is allowed to kill yep. civilians is just very problematic in itself because there are a ton of different factors that go into the people that get those charges why they get those charges if they're innocent if they had the opportunity to get justice for themselves like Sorry, not to get sidetracked about the death penalty. <laughs> no, that's it's a topic that I'm sure there will be other stories hot here, and I'm it's it's something that we could probably talk about for hours. Um, but 
I'm really intrigued by um, the work that Amnesty is doing. And uh, I didn't know about that list uh, that they sent to Joe Biden. Uh, do we know? Is there... <laughs> Obviously, I don't really care either way, but um, I do want to. This is so unfortunate because you know we would we would let's say give this same list of a hundred topics to Donald Trump, and you'd think he would he would knock off zero, right? We've given it to right. Joe Biden, and in the past, you know, seventy five days or so, Joe Biden's been president. He's done one of those things. It's a very one. bottom of the nice. barrel. It's getting <laughs> okay. back in the Paris Climate Accord, <laughs> um, which you know any kind of sane person would do. You would think. He has scored 1% better so far. That's <laughs> such a minimal thing. Anything oh, my goodness, list, really. He just has to sign away. He doesn't even know what's going on, you know? He could just... He could make any of this positive change at any time, and he makes like that decision saying, every day not to. Yeah. Uh, which yeah. is unfortunate. That's like saying, Basically, like, uh, I accomplished everything I need to do. I woke up in the morning, you know what I mean? Um, what Amnesty has been doing in Portland is a direct response to what happened with the George Floyd protests here. Um, so Amnesty, you know, we have 150 branches of this across the world, and Amnesty USA has kind of mobilized out to a couple different communities based on uh, some research and data that we collected. Um, so, like, a really key part of this is that police departments and, like, the government doesn't keep super accurate information to hold themselves accountable. Um, so what Amnesty was doing was sending legal observers out to protests across the country to count instances of the police using excessive force on protesters. Man, <laughs> I think it would lose count. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it, it was definitely helpful to have those statistics so we could find out in a really like objective, concentrated way where injustice was happening the most often. And mm -hmm. one of those communities that had, like, some of the most in the entire country was Portland, um, which sucks, you know. <laughs> yeah, I think I saw the figures, like, it was mind-blowingly high. Or not mind-blowingly, but it was, uh, compared to other cities, I think it looked really very high. <laughs> yeah, I think we were first or second, and then uh, right behind us was Los Angeles, and then Seattle and New York City also had pretty high stakes in there as well. Yeah. But yeah, that's basically why we've gotten sent out here because not only like the grassroots kind of problem of what's happening, um, but this is like a huge federal issue for the United States. And so like we know that local law passes a lot faster than federal law. Um, so that's what I'm a part of is I'm in the management side of the grassroots team here in Portland. Um, and yeah, basically what we're trying to do is three separate things. It's using our research, activism, that kind of thing, uh, to restrict the use of lethal force by police officers, basically meaning that lethal force has to be, like, the last option, which is the U.N. has regulations on policing, and actually zero states abide by it, <laughs> which is, like, not super surprising, but it just means that lethal force has to be the last option that a cop would ever be allowed to use. So we see... Killings happening too often because there's no accountability. Right. Uh, and then the second thing is ending qualified immunity. Mm. It's like so bare minimum. It's like yeah. qualified immunity. Do you know anything about it, Atlas? Yeah, I was going to say I like the goals that they're talking about. It does feel very reformist um, in speech a little bit. And so I just want to call that out, not in a way that it's doing anything bad, but more just for listeners to know that, like, this is like a stepping stone. This is not 
by any means uh, an end goal. And I like, it's great. I want to see those uh, be applied, but I also really want that to be like the quick, speedy, like direction to abolition because we all know that the system cannot be fixed. Um, So I just wanted to throw that in there. And yeah, like you were saying, it's a very minimum (laughs) to say the least, like qualified immunity. Yeah. That's a no brainer. That shouldn't have been in there in the first place. Like, are you kidding me? Um, And so uh, for anyone that doesn't know, I think qualified immunity, the best like way that I can describe it is basically a police officer has like protection for anything that they decide to do. Uh, like it's harder to um, apply the law to them in a sense, like they get a, not a free pass, but they definitely don't have to hold up to the responsibility of their actions. Totally. What do you what do you think? Is there a better way of describing that? <laughs> no, you you said that very beautifully. It's basically yeah. The Supreme Court in the 1980s didn't want police officers to get sued all the time. So what they did was give them this huge blanket of protection with very broad and vague language that has now been warped into this insane loophole of like if you're protecting and serving, quote unquote, uh, you won't be held accountable for crimes, which is horrible. Like Breonna Taylor's killers can legally never be held accountable because of a bullshit law like qualified immunity. Uh, That right there is like the biggest red flag. Uh, Everyone knows that that case and like how absolutely like that never should have happened. Like they're truly like literally in the wrong home. And, you know, it's like, so just laid out that that person should be in jail. And just like the fact that that can't happen with the current legislation we have, that is like horrible. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it's sickening to think about that. Like, yeah. I think, I think I saw that they got in more trouble for the bullet that hit the neighbor's house than the bullet yeah. that like, yeah, that killed uh, Brianna Taylor. Yeah, um, I remember that as well. And that just, <laughs> it just goes to solidify the fact that they protect property over people every time. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So a little bit more on about Amnesty, uh, um, uh, Amnesty International. Um, what are some other projects that are going on? So you were talking about like locally in Portland right now. Yes. And so you had the list of police violence uh, or the uh, mm-hmm. the use of force uh, is what you said. Yes. Um, is there anything else that we're missing from that? Yes. So basically the three asks on a really... I guess, domestic level for amnesty right now is the restricting of lethal force through things like chokeholds, mandatory body cams, that kind of thing for just like direct immediate relief. Uh, The second being ending qualified immunity. So cops would be held accountable. Then the third, uh, which is my favorite part as an abolitionist is defund the police. Uh, Yeah. So defunding the police, basically what we mean by that is taking money from currently very, very inflated militarized style budgets of police departments across the country and putting it into, we call it restorative justice measures uh, into like the hands of people that need it the most. Um, So, you know, people like houseless people, people with like mental health issues um, and basically replacing the current system of policing with, you know, uh, community representatives to handle the similar kind of calls that would be coming into a police station on any given day. Right. Yeah. I think it's really important to be sending in someone that doesn't have a gun uh, to a mental health crisis. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Seriously. Yeah. Instead of bringing that escalation. (laughs) Seriously. Yeah. Uh, So I love what's happening there. So defund is, 
does Amnesty like ha- have a like goal they want to see? Because I know that that's a lot of vocabulary. Like a lot of groups will use to fund, and then they'll be like, "Oh, fifty percent or whatever." I'm like, "No, go hundred. Go to go to hundred. Yeah. Uh, always start. Go to hundred. Yeah. Um, but uh, that being said, like it, Amnesty is really working towards the the actual steps to getting to abolition. Correct. Yes. Yeah. So I don't know the figures as far as defunding the police, what like metrics it would be by what time frame. Um, but I can say with the other two, I know we've made like really actionable goals on those. Uh, and we want those federally by essentially the end of 2022. Um, so like right now in Washington and California, we just got them to restrict the use of lethal force through chokeholds. They're banned completely outright. Uh, which is really, you know, sick for people that live there, but not really for <laughs> anywhere else in the country. So that's why I, I know, the exactly, federal yeah. push is really important. Uh, and then with qualified immunity, we want that federally by the end of next year. Right now, we have one state out of 50, which is Colorado. Okay. Uh, you know, Colorado, they're kind of, they set those progressive policies. <laughs> it's not super Colorado has always been a mind blow for me. It's like just in the middle of nowhere. I mean, they're not in the middle of nowhere, but they're, it's, it's different than the court current trends in their little area. So I'm, I'm pretty tied in with the Denver, Colorado organizing as well. Um, and yeah, Denver goes hard, but in a different it definitely, way. Yeah, definitely. Really cool. yeah. So yeah, that's kind of the goal right now is keep pushing to get these two done. Um, and then, you know, defund, I think amnesty is also, let me just say, abolitionist right but amnesty because we're so large i think oftentimes you know they have their old pr team uh they're like they're tested messages on what they're saying uh to make sure that they can have funding going in uh because at the end of the day amnesty is independent meaning that they do not touch money from like governments and corporations um but with that being said they have to have messaging that can get like a broad amount of people to donate and support the organization uh to keep it afloat keep it at uh, height that it is at yeah it's hard they need that neoliberalism support you know exactly I mean? totally yep and that's the same thing with greenpeace that i always tell people too is like it's cool <laughs> you know to give money to nonprofits that are really big like greenpeace um but like at the same time your dollar i believe does go like quite a bit further when you're getting it in the hands of like someone that needs it right now in the community through like exactly. a network yeah Yep, that's that's kind of uh, the messaging that I, I like to subscribe to. That uh, grassroots organizations, small ones, uh, uh, and uh, just directly giving it to the people that need it the most uh, is probably the most effective way for your money, especially in regards to change and stuff like that. But all that being said, Amnesty International is an important step um, in the progression towards abolition, um, and we can't we can't dismiss it, dismiss it because it's not far enough for us, uh, far enough left. Um, I think this is a little bit of like theory or just a little thought nugget for us. Uh, like the, there's a, there's something called like the mass effect or the mass line effect, um, where you really just have like the total population of people and you have to gauge like where they align, um, as far as their ability to commit to like activism or the ideals that are being pushed. And so uh, right now in our current world, uh, or at least in the United States, 
it's very, very neoliberal. Um, and so it's really hard to go in with a full abolitionist, uh, like messaging right off the bat for, um, federal changes. Um, but that being said, that doesn't mean that that's not what we are continuing fighting for. Absolutely. I think that's, that's a really good bridge to basically take the plug of like, absolutely do donate to like these small organizations because they need the money. They need the money basically to like stay operational. It's like literally putting food in people's bellies. Um, but the benefit, you know, of supporting these bigger organizations is that they have the kind of clout needed and, you know, they have the infrastructure in place as like an organizing network to make the change happen on the federal level, which oh, is yeah. cool to, you know, it, it's good in the way that like, this change has to happen and, you know, giving it to safe PDX is not going to eliminate qualified immunity on a federal level. It just won't. So I think they both do have like, they, they both have places in organizing um, because, you know, we need change on every level. Like there's so many little bubbles that need help, like on small community scales. Um, but then, you know, keeping, an organization like Amnesty alive, like we know that Amnesty would like stick around for the long term and keep fighting for this after absolutely we win this game. Yeah, so I do believe that Amnesty would uh, stay along for the long haul because uh, you know human rights don't stop when you get one victory. You have to continue until the end, um, which is liberate liberation for all. Um, and uh, um, so I think it's very important to realize that all of these are like a tool in our toolbox. Um, and they might not all work for everything, but they definitely do have their uses. Um, and we shouldn't throw them away just because they don't meet our fully like um, abolitionist, uh, you know, requirements, should we say. Um, and so, yeah, I think if that's one thing, uh, all of the listeners should take it as they will. Um, and it's your money, it's your resources, your time. So whatever you choose to do with that, um, that's on you. Uh, I'm not here to tell you what you should and shouldn't do. Um, I literally am here just to give a platform to places that I think are doing some good things. So with that being said, what, is there anything else you want to talk about about Amnesty International? Um, I guess uh, the last little blurb. And I'll stop talking about it, I swear. <laughs> amnesty, uh, I get, like, so lost in Amnesty with just, like, doing it uh, full-time and, like, really launching myself into it right now that, like... Yeah, totally. Uh, I'm just, like, building so much campaign literacy. And uh, one of the really important things that sticks out when we talk about, like, different-sized organizations and, like, the effectiveness and benefits of either donating or getting involved in the work that they do is, like... Or organizations like Amnesty have like tons of international reach, um, which is really cool because you know the saying is like uh, "think global, act local," right? It's like yep. we want to solve global issues like human rights, like climate change, like um, you know all all of these huge intersecting battles that we'll be facing. Uh, but it takes like people getting involved, like grassroots, and like connecting with the organizers in community to make that change happen. Uh, and one of the things is like, you know, two years ago in Saudi Arabia, women weren't allowed to like be outside without male escorts. Uh, and it's like women in Saudi Arabia weren't allowed to drive two years ago. Uh, and Amnesty like 
as an organization, we view that as like a human rights violation where like people should be allowed to have the same rights as like their opposite gendered counterparts, basically. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so we stepped in and ran a campaign and we got them to change legislation nationally. Uh, and now like, we don't think about that <laughs> as like people that can be outside and can drive. And, you know, we have these like rights, so to speak already, uh, that we can take for granted. But then I guess the benefit of getting involved internationally is like, some people just don't have that <laughs> and like right. who's to fight for them. You know, there's like definitely global issues that it would be hard to tackle, um, getting involved on like, you know, the grassroots level. So uh, that's the last little blurb is that, you know, international organizations have a place to, someone's got to fix those issues. Yeah, absolutely. So I know that you mentioned some of the organizations you've worked with. So we've got Greenpeace, Rising Tide, uh, Mosquito Fleet, Amnesty International, and then Safe PDX. Yes. Are there any other resources that you were wanting to kind of get out there today? Or Yeah, so I actually have a little list. Oh, I love lists. Organizations. This is basically all through Instagram. It, like we mentioned, you know, online organizing has become super huge. Um, so all of these pages that I'll be reading off, have an Instagram page and I'll read that little name after. Um, but definitely check awesome. those and then I'll make... like reputable and, you know, go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say, I'm going to, I'll link them in the, the description below so everyone can have easy access to those. Okay. Awesome. Okay, sweet. Yeah. So Greenpeace Portland, um, you know, environmental organization, uh, their Instagram is Greenpeace Portland. Uh, the second Climate change organization I got involved with in Portland is Extinction Rebellion, actually. Um, and Extinction Rebellion, you can find them on Instagram at XR underscore PDX. Uh, the next one, you know, also environmental. It's pretty passionate about that at the time. It's Portland Rising Tide. Um, they're a really cool organization. If you're trying to, you know, support like real small, real local, Portland Rising Tide would be the cool place to do it. Um, their Instagram is Portland Rising Tide just flat out. Um, and then safe PDX, we've already talked about them. Uh, but yeah, they're a black and indigenous organizing hub of Portland. Definitely give them a follow. Uh, if you want to keep like looped in on current events happening in Portland, uh, their Instagram is just safe underscore PDX. Awesome. awesome. And then we have safe queer PDX, um, which you guessed it. It's for the gays, right? Uh, gay resources, uh, gay kind of community can be found at Safe Queer PDX on Instagram as well. Uh, it's basically just like a queer only space as a leg underneath Safe PDX. So, oh, and that's that's awesome. I love that. Ooh. Sorry, this is just, uh, these are resources that if anyone like needs them, uh, we kind of mentioned, you know, there's mutual aid for all sorts of people in the community. Uh, one of them that I love is the Free Lunch Collective. Uh, they're also like a hub of Portland mutual aid um, that people can check out if you need food uh, or like legal assistance or help with your unemployment. They do all sorts of things. Uh, so then on Instagram, they're just Free Lunch Collective. And that's the end of my plugs. <laughs> oh, perfect. That's amazing. I love that list. Um, I am sure that there will be a lot of people that will find some value in at least some of those organizations. Um, uh, I know that I do. Um, I, uh, I think 
it's really important that we utilize all the tools at our disposal. I know we shit on uh, Twitter a lot, but uh, I still th- I still think that it's an important way of connecting with people around the world. Um, <laughs> and we shouldn't throw that away either. Um, at least not I yet. Agree. Um, and so with that being said, what are yeah. some resources that uh, you see you guys down uh, y'all in uh, Portland uh, could like use um, some of these groups? Like what are some maybe non um, non money related uh, resources do you think would be beneficial for um, any of these kind of groups or activism in the, the local area for you? Yeah. So lots of them, uh, honestly, like a lot of these organizations, what they need the most is like if they plan an action out, any of the organizations that I just named, they're already going to have like jail support there, uh, like medical supplies and teams there. Um, oftentimes all that they need, if you don't have like money to physically support them is they need like bodies out there. They need people like holding the ground, just being part of this crowd. Cause at the end of the day, you know, we're a lot more powerful together. Um, and even if you can just make your time available, you can look at it as like volunteering, you know, just going and being in a space and occupying it to help one of these organizations is a really powerful way that you can be out with the community, connect with people, um, and get involved because at the end of the day, you know, we protect us. I think that's kind of the point yeah. of, you know, mutual aid and getting involved and helping each other out. Yeah, the community defense. That's the the goal of community support um, is really to protect each other, make sure everyone in the community is safe and secured. So really get yourself on the ground if you can in these spaces. Um really just occupying that space, like Rob said, uh, really means a lot more than it might feel like. Also, by being in the, these spaces, you're not a rioter or anything like that. Like, you don't need to go feel like you're going to be at a, in a dangerous environment in these spaces. Um, like Rob said, there's like safe PDX and stuff like that, that really do focus on making sure that uh, new people are going to be taken care of while they're there. My favorite ways for, uh, or at least one of my favorite ways to see comrades here in Seattle, at least, um, do a different form of, not protesting, but a different form of activism um, that is less physically demanding um, is the creation and distribution of zines. Um, I think that that's a really big way of really spreading knowledge throughout a city without (laughs) having to be... uh, always in maybe a protesting environment because that can be really draining very quickly um, as a lot of us know. (laughs) I think that's another thing is you don't have to be confined to that. Um, There's a lot that you can do with uh, online community and stuff like that. So yeah, a few things with mentioning that there's a lot of these groups that you can get involved with uh, in Portland and stuff like that. If someone close to that vicinity uh, wants to kind of um, get involved um, what are some things that they should know going into it um, that would be beneficial for them? Like, are there some, like, is there equipment? Is there anything that, like, they should know that is, like, kind of a yeah. standard knowledge there that uh, they might not have information to? Totally, yeah. I would say, like, uh, if you're if you're looking to get involved with, like, any of these organizations or the actions that they put on throughout the week, um, you know, definitely we wear Black Block for a really important strategic reason. Um, because it basically hides everyone's identity, right? It makes us all anonymous. Um, so you don't want to be the person showing up to a protest that's, uh, you know, not in black block, 
um, because at the end of the day, it means that they can, you know, they know they can point you out to say, oh, well, it wasn't that person. It's one of these troublemakers. Yeah. Uh, so there's like some protest etiquette um, that I think people, there's no like formal way to really learn it other than getting out there and talking to people and experiencing uh, people heckle you for not wearing block or whatever else it might be. But yeah, what were you um, Sorry. I, I was just going to say, I, uh, uh, black block is like, uh, depending on the action, it's really important. Um, uh, and so I, 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 I like to point out to people that, um, black block does not equal violence. Um, and so, uh, that's kind of an important thing to think about. Uh, especially if you only have an outside perspective onto what these actions are going to be yeah. like. You also, by wearing black block doesn't mean you are going to be doing anything that is considered illegal by our current state. Yeah. Um, so, like, you have complete yeah. control over what you do and don't do. And uh, so just keep that in mind. So you're not signing up for something that you're not ready for. Know your limits. And then uh, the other thing is, like, there are some assholes in the community that will be, uh, that can be a little bit damaging. So, um, if you do go to, um, a thing, keep in mind that there is a lot of people that really do care and want to see you involved. And so if you do have a bad experience, I hope that like we can go in the, the mind that we are at the end of the day, so human and people do make mistakes. Um, and so it's not uh, one Absolutely. individual doesn't speak for the whole community. Um, so I think those are my two cents going into a uh, protest if you've never been before. Yeah. Um, with that being said, is there anything that you want to talk about uh, to finish up today? Um. Yeah, did we miss anything? Let me check real quick. I know I made that little list of bullet points, but I think we just like yeah. slid right through them. No, I think that's all. that's all I got. Uh, that's amazing so yeah we're, we're approaching uh over the one hour mark right now um i'm sure with editing it's gonna be a little bit shorter but uh um i do think that uh today's conversation was really beneficial do you want to go ahead and like link some places that uh people can follow you at yeah most people um that i organize with online follow through my twitter uh which is at river robbie r-i-v-e-r-r-o-b-b-y um, river's my middle name Legally. that's why i was oh, like awesome. alice is such a dope name like my name is um, <laughs> uh, and yeah uh follow me on there i'll hit you back if i see that you're like an organizer lefty trying to reach out and like grow your platform and get into online organizing awesome that is wonderful and i'll make sure to link that as well down below um just to everyone that's listening, uh, this has been an awesome conversation. I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, I hope you've enjoyed getting to know our comrade Rob a little bit more and a little bit of what their work they're doing. Um, it's been really beautiful. Um, so any last words? I appreciate the work that you know, you're know you doing in Seattle too. It was really nice to have this conversation mm -hmm. and connect with another organizer in the community. I hope that anyone learned anything. That'd be cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> or took anything out of this. Uh, I hope any of it was useful. So. <laughs> Yeah, well, I know that it was very useful to me, at least. And so um, I think that other people will find it very useful as well. But yeah, um, until next time, everyone, solidarity and stay dangerous.